Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. This morning, we, we don't want to duck. We want to look up. The Bible says, look up for today is the day of your salvation and redemption is truly drawing nigh. And before we dismiss, I, I just want to uh, make you aware of a couple things. We, we've been having on Wednesdays some really awesome uh, studies. And matter of fact, I thought since uh, Brother Kylie was gone and he asked me to do the Sunday service, I, I thought I would like to do continue our lesson on so that you could see what we're doing here on Wednesday evenings in the sanctuary talking about the, the names of God, what's in a name. But uh, just so that you, you're aware that if you're not coming, that we'd love to have you there on Wednesday nights. The other thing is uh, watch the Oconomowoc Enterprise because I talked to um, a man named Alex there the other day, and they're going to do a write-up on our food pantry. And so we're in the midst of doing that. It'll probably, I'm not sure exactly what date it'll be out, but... I want to tell you, I'm, I'm not going to share too much on it. You have a right to be proud of the number of people that we have given food to, 9,873 people. And at this point, over a quarter of a million pounds of food, 289,000 pounds of food, has went out from the day we opened that food pantry to roughly this point. And that's the mission, one of the missions of the church. And I'm glad that God's allowed us to do that. And I'm also, and I wish brother and sister Zelensky were here, I'm so, so glad for them. They have been a backbone in helping us make that, that pantry go and all those volunteers that we have. And yes, every time I get up here, I beat the drum on the food pantry because it means a lot to me. So Sunday school, if, if we're breaking out this morning, you can break out. And if uh, those that are staying in here, if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to be using a lot of scripture today. I'm sure they'll have it on the screen up, up on top. What the, the title of, of this lesson this morning, and of course, the, the prefix to every lesson is what is, in the na- what is in a name, and we've been looking at the different names or the attributes of God, and today we're going to be looking at Jesus, the everlasting Father. Now, some of the other topics that we've covered up to this point in past weeks on Wednesday night have been... Christ our refuge, oh that was great that we talked about the cities of refuge, what each one meant and how they were built. We talked about Christ our comforter, we've talked about Christ this last Wednesday, the mighty God, and that was an awesome, awesome time together talking about the mighty God in Christ. And then we also talked about, um, well of course today, Christ the everlasting Father, well, you all know me pretty well. I, I didn't realize it, but when we had our 40th anniversary here, and I saw in the, in the bulletin, Steve Kiley had been here 20 years. I said, has it been 20 years? So you all know me pretty well, and you know my sense of humor and all this other stuff, but you also know another thing about me. I have this thing with my, my mind where it jumps back to music. Everything becomes a song, and I was thinking this morning as I was walking out the door about the song that we have not sang here for years. It used to be, it's not even in the old brown book that we had. I looked this morning. It was called It's All in Him. Now, if you're older, you remember that song. How many of you all remember It's All in Him? Yeah, I figured so. It's the Social Security group. But it, it's, um, the verses are so impressive, and I, it went through my mind. It, I'm not going to sing the whole thing, but it goes this way. The mighty God is Jesus, the Prince of Peace is he, the everlasting Father, the King eternally, 
the wonderful in wisdom by whom all things were made, the fullness of the Godhead in Jesus is displayed. Now you sing with me. It's all in him. It's all in him. The fullness of the Godhead and it's all in him. It's all in him. It's all in him. The mighty God is Jesus and it's all in him. Emmanuel, God with us, Jehovah, Lord of hosts, the omnipresent spirit who fills the universe, the advocate, the high priest, the lamb for sinners slain, the author of redemption, O oh, glory to his name. It's all in him, it's all in him, the fullness of the Godhead, and it's all in him. It's all in him, it's all in him. The mighty God is Jesus, and it's all in him. The Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the living word incarnate, the helpless sinner's friend, our wisdom and perfection, our righteousness and power. Yes, all we need in Jesus, we have this very hour. It's all in him, it's all in him, the fullness of the Godhead, and it's all in him. It's all in him, it's all in him. The mighty God is Jesus, and it's all in him. Praise God. Praise God. If you, I, I added a scripture this morning that I didn't turn in up there to the, to the sound booth, but if you would turn with me to Matthew, the 16th chapter, the topic that we're talking about is a really important topic because Jesus wants us to know who he is. And matter of fact, the disciples walked with him for three and a half years, and at the end of three and a half years, they really still didn't have a total comprehension of the man they were walking with. And matter of fact, in Matthew, the 16th chapter, Jesus stops them while he's teaching one day, and he asks them a question. Verse 13. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, they could tell you who they, people said that he was, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But then he changes, and he says, well, what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? I like to read some things in once in a while. I think it was quiet for a little bit. Nobody really knew how to answer. And finally, impetuous Peter said, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ the son of the living God. Now, I want you to know, I want you to see what Jesus says next because it's important. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on the rock, this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not Overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you bind on earth shall, will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, notice that the revelation is preceded by authority. Because you've said this, Peter, because you've accepted or saw from heaven, the revelation that my Father or God has given to you, you are going to have authority. And actually, we find that he preaches the first message after the ascension 
when the church is established. So what I'm saying to prefix my, my lesson today is this is an important topic because if you do not know who he is, you're not going to carry the authority you need to perform the work. I'm going back to Philippians, the third chapter. And Paul's writing, But what things were gained to me, verb 3 and 10, I, but those I counted lost for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Now, I, I underline that. I count all things lost because I want the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is by, of God by faith. Then he says these profound words, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Paul said, I, all this is for the knowledge of who he is, and that I might know him, and the power that he pre- represents and provides, the power of the resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering being conformable unto his death. Now, we normally start when we teach our lessons on Wednesday right with Isaiah 9 and 6. And so I'm going to start there because it mentions some of the attributes of the Messiah. For unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name, what's in a name? His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, when we look at the aspect of the Father, Jesus spends quite a bit of time trying to show the the similarity, not just the similarity, but the unity between God and himself. And in John, the 14th chapter, that's a great chapter to look at that topic, In verse 6, Jesus is speaking with his disciples. And again, I remind you that John 14 is dealing, uh, actually in the timeline of his life, is at the very end. Jesus is getting ready to leave his disciples and go to the cross. So he's sharing with them things that not only will be an encouragement, but an enlightenment. He said, let not your, in verse 1, for instance, says, let not your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me. My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I, I would tell you I go to prepare a place for you. Now, what he's saying that for is, there, you've got to look ahead. I have things prepared for you. The, after the supper, later tonight, um, we're, we're going to have, or in the next week or so, we're going to have uh, some things happen that's going to shake you at the foundation of your faith. But I want to let you know that I've already planned for this and I have a future. So that was the pre- prefix or the preliminary comments to what I'm about to read next. In verse 6 of that same chapter, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, notice the next four words. If you had known me. Actually, that's five words. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth, you know him and have seen him. Now, Philip speaks up right away. I I might have been right with Philip. Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father And it suffices us. Jesus said unto him, and I can see the consternation on his face as he says these words, have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? 
Have I been with you that long and you guys don't even know me? You mean, how long have you been coming to church? 40 years? Has it been so long that you've been coming to church and you still don't know me? He that has seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then? Show us the Father. Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. But the Father that dwelleth in me, he does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's, that's where we're going to jump in the pool at this morning. Now I'm going to talk about this topic, and hopefully we can bring some loose ends together. Now, notice in Hebrews, the first chapter, verse 5. <clears throat> Paul writes, For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son. And notice these next words. This day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he will be to me a son. But I want you to focus on there that he uses the words, this day, at a point in time, I have begotten thee. Now, when we look in the scriptures, references relating to the Son of God always pertain to some point in time. This refers to an actual point in time. This day have I begotten thee. We, we've, got a, we've got a day. It's on the calendar. Jesus was born on a specific day, at, of time. Now, I want to go back and I want to quote some thing, things from David Bernard's book on the oneness of God. And I thought this was really, really interesting how he puts it. The word begotten is a form of the verb beget, which means to procreate, to father, to sire. Thus begotten indicates a definite point in time, the place where conception takes place. This day have I begotten thee. By definition, the begetter, which would be the father, always must come before the begotten, which would be his offspring. There must be a time when begetter exists and the begotten is not yet in existence. And there must be a point in time where the act of begetting occurs. That's almost cut, like cutting a little bit of that prime rib off near the bone, and you want to suck on that for a little bit before you chew it because it's so good. It's the truth. The word eternal is not applied to the Son in the Scriptures. It's not. The term Son of God refers to the humanity of Jesus, to God being manifest in flesh. Now, when we go back to the Annunciation, when the angel announced to Mary the name and the source of her first child, he referred to Jesus in the future tense, not in the past tense. He said, shall be to her, not in a pre-existence or eternal state. Let me read it to you. Luke one thirty-five. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost will come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God, which shall be born of thee in a future sense, shall be called the Son of God. So although the concept of sonship is eternal, the concept is eternal. There's no doubt about it. The occurrence happens at a specific 
point in time. He was delivered in a stable in a little town called Bethlehem. Now, I, I say that he was born, the, the concept came out of eternity. I go back to Revelations 13 and 8. It says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of, of life, and the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So the concept of his existence and his thought pre-existed even creation. Even before the worlds were ever created, the foundation was ever laid in the mind of God, God saw Christ. He was going to be a lamb that was going to be slain from the very foundations of the world. Now, Jesus was not slain before man was created. I think we can all agree on that. Jesus was slain at a specific point in time, 33 AD. Now, let's go back and, and we'll go a little further. In Galatians, the fourth chapter, verse 4, notice what Paul says here, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth the son made of a woman made under the law. When the time came, this came into existence. I go back again and I read from Paul in Ephesians, the first chapter, uh, verse 4. He writes, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Again, the church was foreordained before the world began, but it didn't exist. Do you see where I'm going with this? We were foreordained before the world ever came into existence, but we didn't exist until a specific point of time, as was Christ. Since the fact is the sun physically originated in time meant that the flesh was restricted to the constraints of time. Since he was created in the likeness of man at a specific point in time, not eternity, he was subject to the same things that we are subjected to. We were born in a point of time and so he was tempted, like the Bible says, in every way as we're tempted. He had, you ever wonder why he had to learn? He had to go through the learning processes that we had to go through. He had to go through physical development, just like our children had to go through. He had to go through the temptations like we had to go through. He had to go through the physical limitations that come through flesh, just as we have to do. You, when you look at Matthew and Luke, they spend a lot of time explicitly detailing the human origin of Jesus. They say, well, he's of the tribe of Judah. He's of the house of David. Makes matter of fact, they go on to say that he was made like unto his brethren. Paul goes on to say in Hebrews, the second chapter, verse 16 and 17, for verily he took on him the nature of, he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. He was made of a woman after the law. Before his birth, the Son of God only existed in the mind of God. We all were all familiar with John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the word. What is a word? It's an outward expression of a thought. A word has no substance. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was with God. But the word, the thought, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
that thought became reality at a point in time. It wasn't eternal existence. It was begotten. Psalms, the second chapter, verse 7. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me. Thou art my son. And then I underword these words. This day have I begotten thee. It's pretty, it's pretty specific. This day, not eternal day. This temporal day have I begotten thee. And then in 1 Peter 1 and 20. For verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest, manifest in these last times for you. Now, the word that I underlined here was foreordained. This was something that was going to happen, just like the church was going to happen. But then one day it manifested itself, and it happened on a specific, in a specific point in time. Now, to a lot of people, this is a mystery. And uh, we hear that word mystery thrown out a lot. Matter of fact, I, I go back and look at Paul using the same word in Ephesians 3, verse 9. He says, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places by, might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, in a, one of the first lessons that we did on this topic, we went back and we looked at the terminology and the names in Greek and Hebrew of Lord. We found out that the same, that you cannot say Jesus is the Christ without saying that Jesus is the Tetragrammaton or the YHVH or the Great I Am. So someone to say that Jesus was separate than the God that brought the Jews out of, the, out of Egypt would be an error because he uses the same name as the I Am. I Am that I Am. God was in Christ, you need to understand this, was in Christ reconciling the world onto himself through a body which was made in a particular point in time that was begotten. And then in Romans, the 16th chapter, I like what he says here because he talks about the revelation of the mystery. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. So many people say, well, we can't understand the Trinity because it's a mystery. But Paul's saying, you know, there's a revelation of the mystery. So if there's a revelation of the ministry, it must not be a mystery anymore unless a person wants it to remain a mystery. And then it goes on to say, but now the mystery is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. And we're getting to the place that I want to be. I got a couple more verses to go, but 2 Timothy 1 verse 9 says, Who hath saved us and called us with that holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest. By the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Paul's declaring to Timothy in this verse, and then he's going to go back a couple chapters later and he's going to lay it out very plainly. He's declaring there's a revelation to the mystery and it's plain. 
And he says in 1 Timothy 3.16, and without controversy, that means without any argument, without any dispute, without any dissension. Great is that mystery of godliness. Here's, here's the mystery revealed. God was manifest in the flesh and became, I'm adding this, when he had a child, he became a father. That's what usually happens to people that get married and have children. They become fathers because they become the begetters who bring about the begotters. Yeah, that's right. I knew that. I just wanted to see if you could catch it. Here's the mystery. God, now we're going to go back and read a verse in a little bit in Colossians that says that God is invisible. God has no substance. God in his essence is a spirit that fills all space. He's everywhere at one time. Job says, where can I go that he's not already there? He's a spirit, omnipresent spirit. Here it says that spirit was manifest in the flesh, in a son. It was justified in the spirit. It was seen of angels because God was invisible unto the only wise God. The God, invisible God, was seen. How could a invisible God ever be seen? Through the image of his begotten son. That's why Jesus said, when you see me, you see the spirit. This is all you're ever going to see of God because this is his body. When you see me, you see my father. How do you say then, show us the father? I can't show you the father. He's invisible. I manifest in a body. Here I am. And are we talking about Jesus? Well, he was seen of angels and he preached unto the Gentiles. He was believed on in the world and he was received up into glory. Paul is talking about Jesus, the Son of God. God became the father of a body of flesh that was begotten in a little town called Bethlehem. And the fullness of God dwelt inside that body. Now, I, I got Colossians 2 and 9, and I got two different versions. We've talked about in the, some of our lessons in the last couple of weeks about the authority of Christ and the name of Christ. About how all authority is given to Christ. All authority. That means if there's any authority out here, if you have any authority, it's not your authority. God's granted you authority because he's been given all authority. Our government, if they have any authority, it's only granted to them by God. And that's why when Pilate said to Jesus, do you not that I could let you go? I have the authority to let you go. That Jesus threw it right back in his face. He said, you'd have no power unless it was given to you from my Father which is in heaven. You'd have nothing if it wasn't given to you. So I want you to understand that all power, all authority, belongs to him, to Christ. Now notice what Colossians 2 and 9 says. And this is the King James Version. For in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We're all familiar with that. We've quoted that. But now let's look at it in the NIV version. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. I like that. Because it's talking about all deity, all the fullness, all the power of deity lives in Christ bodily. Now let's go back and look at the Bible dictionary. I went back and I looked up and I got the definition of the fullness of God. What is that? What is the fullness of God? Well, I'm going to read it to you. This is out of the Bible dictionary. The fullness of the Godhead is the totality 
of the divine powers and attributes, all the wealth of the being and of the nature of God. Eternal, infinite, unchangeable in existence, in knowledge, in wisdom, in power, in holiness, in goodness, in truth, in love. That's like ragu. It's all in there. You don't remember the commercial. It's in there. They're talking about ragu, Italian sauce for spaghetti. It's in there. Whatever you want is in ragu. Well, whatever you need in God is in Christ. All the goodness, all the truth, all the power, all the wisdom, all the existence, it's all in Christ. I wanted to go back and share that scripture that I quoted with you just a minute ago in Matthew 28, 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority is in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, I'm not a really intelligent guy, but if I gave you all my money, how much would I have? That's pretty simple. I know right away. I'd have zilch, donada, nothing. If all God, God gave all, the Father gave all of his power to the Son, how much power would the Father have? Could Jesus actually say that if there were two? Why would you pray to someone that had no authority or power? Because they're one. The fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Christ bodily. He became the Lamb of God, the, the high priest of the church, and he was given the power and authority to loose people from demonic spirits. He had power over nature. He had the power to create he had the power to destroy. He destroyed the fig tree, yet he could create eyes. That's why when I go back and I start, I, I, I sort of finish where I started. If you had known me, you should have known, have known my father also, and from henceforth you know him and have seen him. But again, those that, that cannot see this, that haven't seen the mystery, they say, well, I don't see. Show us the Father. I, and it suffices us. I don't see that. And then Jesus shakes his head and says, have, have I been so long with you guys? Have I been in this church so long? Have I been in your life so long? And you really don't even know who I am yet? Colossians 1 and 15, Paul writes, he says, who is the image of the invisible God? He's the firstborn of every creature. So let's see. Jesus refers to the Spirit in him as the Father. The Father in me doeth the works. He also refers to the Spirit in him as the Comforter or the Holy Spirit which those that believe on him after he ascends into heaven should receive. I'll read it's John 14, verse 17. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world seeth me no more, but you see me because I live, you shall live also. At the, that day you shall know that I am, my am in my Father, ye in me, and I in you. So Jesus says the Holy Spirit, or the Comforter, lives inside of me. The Holy Spirit's inside of me, and the Father's inside of me. And when I die, you're going to be filled with the Holy Ghost, but really it's going to be me in you. So uh, when I receive the Holy Ghost, if there was a Trinity, I got two members of the Trinity right away in me. 
I got, Jesus said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I received Christ. Then I got the Holy Ghost. But what happened to the Father? He didn't want to come in. I'm saying it's all facetious because you're trying to make one into three. And I'm going to start wrapping this up. And in Matthew, the 11th chapter, verse 25, it says, At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, but hast revealed them unto babes. I remember the famous line of all the priests. They would always say, you're going to try to teach us? We're the religious elite. We're the Pharisees. And you intend to tell, uh, teach us about this Messiah named Jesus? And, you know, they talked, the blind man's trying to tell him, hey, listen, all I know is I was blind, and now I see there he must be of God. And they're saying, well, who are you? Why, did you go to seminary? How, who did you, did you sit under the feet of, at Gamaliel's feet to get teaching? But here Jesus said, He's hid this concept from those that proclaim to be so wise. And he's revealed it unto babes. We had our grandkids over yesterday, and I, I'm having more fun with these kids. It's, it seems really fun. You know what I'm saying? Liz is shaking her head. You know, I know what I'm saying. I love my grandkids. I love my kids. But it even seems more fun the second time. Maybe because I can send them home. <laughs> but I remember, and I, I, I'm going to use this in a third person because I never want to embarrass my kids because I've done it for 40 years and I should stop sometime. 38, sorry. <laughs> 38 years. How would, how would you feel? You got this little, little boy, and you got neighbors over, and you love the kid with all your heart, and a stranger walked in, and he went up and he said, Daddy, to the stranger. Not cool. But when... when Hannah came over the other day. Oh, she's so cute. She walked up and she put up her hands and came up to me like, hey, Grandpa, I know who you are. And the first day that my son said, Dad, Daddy, it made, even though I knew he was his father, it gave me a thrill inside because I now knew that he recognized his position to me. He realized that I was his father, and being his father, that I had responsibility for him. That's why this topic is so important. Jesus bears responsibility. He's our father. I know the church is like our mother because the church is nurturing us and feeding us, but God is our Father. And he's revealed unto those simple, that little baby understood who his father was and their relationship. And then it goes on to say in verse 27, all things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, Neither knoweth any man the Father, notice this, save the Son, and to whomsoever the Son reveals him to. So, if I have the revelation of, of the oneness and unity of Christ, God and Christ, and someone doesn't, should I hold that over them? Absolutely not. Because what the Bible is saying is that this is a spiritual enlightenment or revelation to those that are open to receiving it. To whomsoever the Son revealeth him. And in 1 Corinthians 12 and 3, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. 
Now, I, for 14 years, I work with a lot of people that come from all different faiths, from priests to rabbis to every different group that you can imagine. And not everyone has the revelation that I have of Christ. Does that bother me about them? No, not really. I know that God has granted me to see some things that they haven't seen yet, and I pray that one day that God opens up their eyes of understanding. But I'm not going to browbeat them and destroy them for something that they have not received that comes from God yet. And so in conclusion, John 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. That's not in the aspect of agreement. Because Trinitarians will tell you that all that means is that we're one in agreement. No, he that is not in agreement, that's in oneness and unity. They are one person. I cannot say to someone, when you see me, you see my father. My father does not look anything like me. I am distinct. I'm separate. But Jesus said, when you see me, you see my Father, because he was the Father in flesh. Notice what happens after he says that, though, in verse 31. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him, and Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? Then the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, Because thou, being a man, what are you doing? You're making out that you're God, that you're the Father, that you're the Spirit. That's why we're stoning you, not because of your good works. Jesus said, if they've hated me, they're going to hate you also. You might as well get used to it. The devil doesn't want people to have the revelation of who Jesus really is because it gives them faith to exhibit the power that he's entrusted to them. And that's why the oneness organizations sometimes are so persecuted. That's why the Jews have faced persecution. The the Jewish nation has always, 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 from Abraham on, always been monotheistic. They have never one time ever talked about God in three persons or three, three different units. It's always been that way. And so when Jesus said, uh, they're, they're saying, because you make yourself, a man make yourself God, what they're saying is, you're not making yourself a, another perfect member of the Trinity, you're putting yourself in the position of the God we worship, the, of Yahweh, Y-H-V-H, the I Am, the Adonai, the Elohim, the Yeshua. This is not supposed to be a word puzzle by any means. We do not worship three distinct individuals in a Godhead. We worship God through Christ. There is only one God, and God gave himself a ransom for the sins of man who he robed himself in a body, a temporal body that was fashioned like unto my body that bled and suffered and caused him pain but died, and now he lives in a glorified body. And if I'm buried in the likeness of his death because he was in a body like mine, I'll be in the likeness of his resurrection. I'll have a body like unto his own glorious body. And that's why I want to end this, this morning. It's so important that we go back and we see the foundation of our faith and why we do what we do and who we really are worshiping and all the power that he really has because it it shuts the mouth of the lying serpent that says, you guys don't have strength. You don't have identity. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my Bible tells me God's word shall never pass away. It shall come to pass. The blood, the song that we used to sing, the blood shall never lose its power, it's absolutely true. The blood that sanctifies me through, 
through Christ's death, through the waters of baptism, causes a regeneration of a man that was lost to a man that was found, who now bears the name of a father that is eternal with all authority and power. I am a child of God. That's my identity. I live in a temporal fleshly body just like your body. And I have thoughts come through my mind just like you have thoughts because it's like a giant ham radio. It picks up all these things floating around and sometimes I wonder where even the thought came from and how it ever ended in my mind. And I'm living in a temporal body. But God is inside of me, working through me to overcome my own limitations. I'll be honest, I don't think they, my greatest enemy, I don't think it's Satan, I think my greatest enemy is my own doubt and insecurity. Remember, I, I think about AAA, or not AAA, AA meetings, and how they like to say, and there's nothing wrong with this because it's, it's helped a lot of different people, I am an alcoholic. To rhyme, they, they want to remind themselves of their own weaknesses so they don't fall into the same pit that they fell in before. But I think we should do the same thing in our relationship to God. I am a Christian. I am blood washed, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled, born again, on my way to heaven, and nothing's going to ever stop me. There's no force built against me that can stand against me. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.